Being able to speak to amazing people and release their conversations every week is such a pleasure. And it means so much to me that people like you get to listen to this every week. And the fact that you're continuing to listen means even more. But I wanted to ask for a bit more support. I've started a Buy Me A Coffee. You can go onto the link down in the show notes below, click and donate as little or as much as you'd like. It would help me produce better content, keep the editing up, and just in general have better conversations I can travel further and bring you better guests. If this sounds like something you'd like to help me with, the link will be in the show notes below. Again, thank you so much for listening. It's enough already. And so enjoy this episode. Before I start, thank you for listening. This is the Ignition Podcast. Get ready to fuel your passion for cars and motorsport every Monday and Thursday. We bring you stories, valuable career tips, and tricks that will help you navigate the automotive world. So don't miss out. Follow the Ignition Podcast now and join the drive towards becoming the number one automotive podcast worldwide. Let's embark on this thrilling journey together. Team racing is a subject that divides everyone in motorsport. Is it a sport? Is it not? Is it a real motorsport? Is it not a real motorsport? I know from interviewing racing drivers of all kinds that the thing they share most in common is a mindset developed to win, to want to win and to chase victory at all costs. But does adding the life or death element to racing make it real? Does it discount sim racing from being a real sport? Josh Martin from Sim Staff may have a biased view on it, but listen to what he has to say. The points brought across did make me think. I personally don't believe that sim racing is a real sport, but I do believe it is a sport. What do you think? Why is it I'm not enjoying this? Persistence. We're in a society now where it can be easy to kind of have that first couple of stumbles and then go, actually, I don't want to continue with this. If it is something that you have an innate passion for and you always find yourself coming back to, when a door closes, a window opens, people racing on the limit, pushing themselves, kind of that man and machine coming together, sim racing, um, offered that itch to be scratched at a much cheaper entry point. Kind of chucked myself on a train overnight down to, to Birmingham, stayed in some pretty rough digs just to make sure that I could kind of get to that show and get talking to people. The human relationship can sometimes carry projects a lot further. The pandemic obviously came about and kind of decimated the events industry, which if I was ever wanting to start my own business, there was probably no better time. I've got this talent and understanding of experience with Bentley. You know, we had training sessions each day. I had a virtual race engineer setups and uh, working with me on kind of driver behavior and looking at telemetry is I got a heart rate monitor um, and kind of tied that into when I was in the sim and I realized that you know before the start of a race you know heart rates jump into like 120 140 bpm which my body's physically still feeling the same as if it's in a real car and I think the one thing I've learned you know particularly from kind of listening to your podcast and the people you've had on is Josh why is what you're doing important to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great first question. I think for, for me, what I do, why it's so important to me um, is I'm someone who, when I was looking at the world of kind of esports and gaming, there's a lot of opportunities that are present now that weren't present before. Um, and so for me, being able to kind of work on my, my hobbies, turn it into a passion um, is something that, that's really, really important. And ultimately giving opportunities to those people that, like I say, years ago that I, I didn't really have. So for me, that's why it's, it's super important. Yeah, and I know, I know for me, like personally, like gaming is something that I grew up with, and something that I this is one of the reasons I'm so into motorsport and so into cars. And and is, was it the same for you? You mentioned turning a hobby into into a you know into a career. So is is that what you were like growing up? Was was it games and stuff, or was it actually you know, more like actual racing that you were kind of kind of a fan of early early on? Yeah, hundred percent. At a young age, um, I'm sure probably like yourself, you know, I remember being sat kind of in front of the TV as a kid watching F1 races, touring car races, wherever the case may be. Um, and for me, it was just the whole idea of like people racing on the limit, pushing themselves, kind of that man and machine coming together um really kind of scratched the niche um and then the world of gaming 
for like so many, you know, particularly with the world of kind of digital motorsport or sim racing, um, offered that itch to be scratched at a much cheaper kind of um, entry point. So for me, that's where the passion really turned into to something more longer term. And um, yeah, ultimately a career that I can now luckily kind of say that I'm working on full time. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so there's those, like, you know, those qualities important for you, then, you know, dedication, persistence, is this something that you kind of learn off racing and is this something you kind of bring into your daily life now? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, um, I, I think for people who are creatives, you know, it, it's super important to have that kind of dedication and persistence. I think it can be very easy when you're creating something new, be that, you know, the first episode of a podcast or that first sales pitch or, or sponsorship deck, you know, there's a lot of knockbacks and a lot of things that go right, go wrong. Um, we were just joking about how I even walked into this with my mic set up incorrectly. Um, but for me, you know, having those, the skills and, um, being able to kind of train and, and repeatedly kind of work on them is, is super important. And, if you can look at it in a positive light can be actually quite enjoyable. Right. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. I think that's what draws us as like human beings to racing and, and, and you know, sports mm. is the fact that these people are showing off extreme talents and they're showing off, you know, the kind of best of what we can be. I think it's what draws us to, especially mm. me anyway, to, to most sport. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, you see, you know, people like Max or Lewis when they're, they're racing, particularly in wet races, I find that I kind of find a new, new appreciation for it or even rally racing. You know, these are guys who are literally millimeters from kind of having, you know, big accidents or even, you know, making mistakes and somehow they're able to operate just at that kind of like 0.01% with, in most cases, like relative ease. That for me is just something truly remarkable. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because you, you look at these people and you think, yeah, it's a pinnacle motorsport, it can't get any faster than, you know, next year they smash <laughs> it. Like Lewis is ahead a good 20 seconds and next year Max is ahead a good 20 seconds. Mm. Like, where does it stop? I think that's, it's, yeah, it's a good point of, you know, they are operating to the, you know, the point, not, not one second of, you know, being able to crash there or survive there, I think, yeah, yeah. Is, is incredible. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, you know, you look at the, the engineers as well. It's, it's like that collective team effort in, in motorsport, isn't it? It's, it's not just the the driver kind of putting out on the track. It's the guys working, you know, or, or you know, guys and girls working day and night on the, the, the kind of the setups and the aerodynamics and all this kind of stuff. And for me, it's kind of a, a unique world that I think attracts top talent. And it's where, you know, that talent and kind of, if you have an area that you're really excelling can be rewarded. Um, which for me, again, is a really cool kind of unique aspect of, of motorsport that I think maybe other sports can't leverage as much. Hmm. And was this like, I'm going to jump a bit back to, you know, you growing up, um, Josh, and was this something that your parents noticed you were excelling and maybe you, know, you really enjoyed racing motorsports, you really enjoyed, you know, kind of on the computers, something they kind of noticed in you and kind of pushed, was it was something that you kind of just, they thought was a hobby and a, a sort of, you know, gaming was just, just you know, not, not related to school or career? Yeah, hundred percent. I think like a lot of parents, there was a lot of arguments about why am I wasting my time playing video games and stuff. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately, uh, like I kind of said, you know, sim racing can offer a much cheaper entry port in, into, into motorsport. So I guess for, for parents, or at least in my case, you know, it was, it's a good chance for them to kind of let me explore this hobby without sinking too much financially into it. And if it was something that kind of came off great and if it didn't, then, you know, also not the end of the world. So once we kind of, I got my first, you know, sim racing setup and was competing in competitions. They kind of were like, okay, this makes a bit more sense. And I think particularly over the kind of pandemic, um, you know, obviously the worlds of sim racing and real motorsport really came together. So it was like the first time that particularly with my parents, they were like, okay, we kind of get what it is you're doing now and kind of understand what sim racing is. Um, and then from there, obviously, you know, um, the rest is kind of history, but I've definitely kind of got that endorsement, I suppose, from them, if you want to look at it that way. 
Yeah, because I, I think we as, we as kids, and I think you know, our parents would agree, we put a lot of pressure on our parents to be able to guide us through this world. Mm. Um, and so when you go like, why can't I do sim racing? Why can't I do racing as a, as a career? They, they don't know the answer because they've not got an example of it. I think, like mm. you say, like, especially over COVID, you know, that was when it became more obvious to people and to everyone who's becoming more popular worldwide. And so when you're, like, when you're at school and Josh's, what are you being told is possible? What are you being told is a career that, you know, maybe is, is worth your time? Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny. So, um, I think about a year and a half ago, I actually went back to, to my old school. We did an install of four racing simulators for them. Um, but at the time when I was at school, you know, even like having your phone out in class was kind of frowned upon. Um, the idea of video games being a career was just not, not existent, you know? So it's funny how it kind of goes completely kind of full circle. Um, and I think in schools, you know, gaming, it's becoming more acceptable. You know, I think if you're wanting to become like a programmer or a software developer, you know, definitely. Um, and also for kind of the arts and, and graphic design. But I still think generally if someone turns to you and says, you know, I want to be a podcaster, I want to be a, um, you know, a host or a professional gamer, there's not really a lot of infrastructure there to support that yet. So at least when I was in school, you know, I would do my schoolwork and then I'd kind of be playing video games in the evening and it was still yeah, people kind of viewed it as a waste of time. And it's uh, it's nice that we've kind of advanced beyond this, um, but I still think there's probably a little bit of a way to go, particularly when you consider how much of our society is now kind of built around these creatives um, and various kind of industries, right? Yeah, I think 100%, like, you know, there's always more that can be done. But I think if we, it's people like yourself, you know, who are putting companies in place that are able to help support that network. And we'll get on to more about what you're doing because I find it really interesting. But um yeah, I mean, for you, Josh, like, what, what, what were you doing when you left school? What was the, you know, the plan for you, like Josh at 16, 17, what was he thinking? Yeah, so um, like a lot of my friends, you know, everyone was kind of looking towards university. Um, honestly, it wasn't something at the time that I had a lot of interest in going to, but I guess kind of being young and, and easily influenced by the crowds, um, you know, went to university, I studied psychology at the University of Dundee. And then um, about six months before I graduated, kind of had a realization where I was like, actually, I don't even want to be doing psychology. Um, and I don't want to kind of go into that field. So reached out to various companies who were kind of already in the event space, some of them who were kind of using simulators already, um, and realized that maybe it's an opportunity to get into motorsport. I think that, you know, the ship had definitely sailed to become a, a driver. Um, but this was still a way to be involved in that space and really where my passions were. So yeah, reached out to, to event companies, was working with them on kind of activations with formula one and formula e and this kind of stuff and then the pandemic hit and then kind of took us back to square zero so it was um quite a journey at 16 trying to work out what i wanted to do um and i think like like i kind of said you know for a lot of people where they are more of that creative um individual it can be quite difficult at times right to kind of um find something that's a bit unique i'm sure you know i'd be curious to hear where yourself obviously we're creating a podcast that it's probably not kind of a typical career people think of or, or hear about. So how did you go about kind of explaining to people what you're planning to do with that? It's okay to talk, right? Well, Tacona is a brand that's changing mental health awareness. I have always been one that's found it hard to talk and that my feelings, well, they weren't exactly best spoken. Once I found Tacona and learned more about what Lewis does, I was amazed that a clothing brand is making people aware just with one simple logo. If you see a Tacona t-shirt, a shirt, a cap, a hat, a sticker, whatever it is, you know that person knows. It's okay to talk. And because they want to help spread the message, Tacona is giving us 10% off. So if you listen to this podcast, in the show notes below will be a link to the website. And if you use code Ignition10, you get 10% off store-wide products. So, enjoy, and enjoy the rest of the episode. 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, I guess, because I, I can say like yourself, a lot of people ask me, like, oh, you tell them you do a podcast, and they go, oh, okay, and they kind of like, they don't really understand why I do a podcast, yeah. it's kind of like, maybe they listen to it, or maybe they, you know, listen to a, a, a podcast, and they go, oh, that's cool, like, he's just like a, but I'm not famous, I've got no industry standing, like, I've, this is just me being passionate about, you know, motorsport and automotive, and wanting mm. to get know more about the industry itself, so I kind of just speak to people, so my, my view on it is, people ask me why I do what I do, is I just go, I'm really nosy. I'm really curious, and I want to learn more about you know my passion. My, my and that's kind of the way I explain to people what I do because it's not making money yet. Like it's not. It is a career. Like you know, there's people like Stephen Bartlett, Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. and a hundred other people that make money from it. So I know it's possible. And it's just like knowing that you know, like anything, you put enough time and consistency and dedication to something that you're able to produce results. I think that's that's kind of how I explain it to people. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, isn't it? It's about that trying to educate people without being patronizing is something that I find, you know, can be challenging at times, particularly with, um, you know, my dad's a perfect example. Like I say, when I was younger, he just viewed it as video games. And suddenly during the pandemic, it's like, that's Jensen Button in that virtual car that I'm also competing in the race in. And it's, yeah, how you bring those worlds together. So it, it's a unique problem I think that we're having as an, an industry in motorsport is we're kind of branching out even into, you know, the stuff that they're doing with Netflix and the, you know, the more, um, entertainment you know kind of style of content so it's exciting but also i think something kind of interesting to keep an eye on yeah 100 percent. um so why did why did you like and this is important for people i guess listening that maybe are living university why did you choose that you know maybe it wasn't for you how did you realize what the things that popped up that you thought psychology actually is not the thing i should be doing yeah for sure so when i I mean when i was kind of in lectures and and doing course content and stuff you know i I think maybe like quite a lot of people on my course maybe you know they weren't enjoying it as much as they wanted to and when i took a step back to kind of go why is it i'm not enjoying this um and i was kind of sat in my room at the time and i had a sim rig sat in the corner and i remember that like after lectures and stuff i'd just be coming in and jumping on the sim rig and i'd be you know racing in in sim racing leagues and and digital competitions and Mm. when i looked at that i was just kind of like this is where my passion lies and it was too early at the time as an industry to be kind of a, a professional sim racer but conceptually you know that the idea of simulators has been around for a long time teams have been using them for, for for quite a while as well so i was going to like british turn car championships kind of chatting to people trying to get a gauge of what the market's kind of um view of simulators were and then once i kind of had that kind of antidotal data plus just generally how i was feeling when i was looking at career paths for psychology you could become a you know sports psychologist or similar but my interest more is kind of in, in talking to people and, and kind of cultivating those relationships as opposed to like finding problems and solving them with people, if that makes sense. No, I, I agree hundred percent. Like you've, you've realized that, you know, you enjoy this other thing a lot more. There's no point, you know, because you've been told maybe, I don't know, maybe you're told psychology is a safe route or you're interested because you're interested in how people work and people think, you know, psychology was an easy next step, but you've chosen that, you know, actually I do enjoy this thing sitting in the corner a lot more in the books in front of me i think that's quite a good lesson for people to, to listen to and, and hear but yeah definitely definitely yeah and so josh like when you when you like were then doing stuff with your career and you and you kind of got to the point where you're like i you know you you left you left university you've chosen psychology and you've gone gone over something else what were your options what were you looking at is you said events i'm interested in like, how you chose that as the next step yeah so i mean i like i said i was kind of looking at all the variables in terms of within motorsport how can i kind of stay involved which i think comes back to what we were saying earlier about that kind of desire and persistence is you know in in some ways in a really simplistic form i was just kind of wanting to be in the world of motorsport and i didn't really mind how i kind of got there obviously the preferential route was the simulator type of stuff um so i was like i say doing some research about you know what companies have already got simulators i was looking at the autosport show in, in birmingham seeing who's attending there 
Um, and so as a student, kind of chucked myself on a train overnight down to, to Birmingham, you know, stayed in some pretty rough digs just to make sure that I could kind of get to that show and get talking to people. Because obviously, you know, in Scotland, um, if you go back five, 10 years, like the, the motorsport industry was still developing. It still is obviously relatively small compared to, to England and, and what's going on down here. But equally, sim racing was a lot, lot smaller. So for me, you know, the autosport show was kind of that um, that one event that I needed to get to to understand what was going on. And once I got down there, you know, talking to people and, and getting that excitement and buzz for the motorsport industry that I was kind of craving, I guess, you know, trying to achieve. Mm. Um, and once I kind of learned the opportunities were there, it was a very easy decision for myself. You know, I didn't really have many ties up north. Um, I, like I said, I wasn't one planning to go into psychology. So the opportunity of working in the event space was really appealing um, and kind of gave me that foot in to getting some way towards the motorsport industry. That's great. I think it's fantastic. You've picked up, you know, you just gone, gone, you know, you just, you just kind of did what most people wouldn't do. And you've kind of gone outside your comfort zone and you just decided to hurt yourself down to this place in the middle of England coming from Scotland. Yeah. Uh, what made you do that? Um, I think, like I say, it was just, I knew that, I mean, I know that, that there's bigger shows than autosport for me. This was the event though, that everybody was talking about when you're at a racetrack, be that, you know, British touring cars or, or smaller club races. And um, I was like, just need to get down there, see what's going on, see what this is about. And like the moment I walked in that, that door, uh, into the first hall and I just saw like the size and scale of it. And, you know, some people were there just to view it on a weekend cause they had something to do. Other people are obviously there doing, you know, creative content or networking or, or marketing and stuff. And for me, that was just, it was everything that I imagined it would be plus a bit more. So for me, it was just so important to get down there and, and really see what was on offer. Yeah, I think it's great because people won't necessarily understand like what autosport is, but if you do understand motorsport, you will know what it is. And I think it's a great opportunity for anyone to, to like you say, go down and understand a bit more about motorsport. Um, what did you learn in particular about the industry that you loved? What were your kind of like keys or like latching on points, if that makes sense? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the, you touched on some of there. I think the, the autosport show, although it's kind of portrayed as this um, automotive kind of exhibition where you can view various cars and, and, and teams and stuff, for me, it kind of... I learned that it came a kind of unofficial opening of the motorsport season. Um, it's kind of how I viewed it. So you have teams there that are unveiling liveries, they're announcing new sponsors, maybe they're, you know, even just exploring what they're out to for the rest of the year. So for me, that was kind of the big takeaway of like, if I do nothing else, it just needs to be keep coming back to the show each year. Cause this is where mm. kind of all the big announcements are being made. All the key decision makers are coming. Um, after that, it was kind of seeing the amount of people who had simulators on their stands. It was quite small at the time, but there were some companies who were using them as more experiential marketing tools than anything. Um, and then after that, there was a kind of a few stands which were focused purely on sim racing. And those were people who are, you know, looking for people to come support them with builds, with live events, this kind of stuff. Um, so really what I learned is, you know, how chaos like the motorsport industry can be, how much is going on at once. Um, but also that actually there was some substance to the world of sim racing and that teams were starting to kind of go, okay, this is something interesting, even if it is as an experiential marketing tool. Yeah. It's interesting because you seem really curious as a person. I think, you know, that kind of comes out from listening to you. And do you know where this comes from? Because, you know, clearly you want to find out more about stuff and you, mm. it kind of seems like second nature that you would just go to a, a motorsport show in the middle of England, like just kind of go on a four or five hour trip. So do you know where that comes from, that curiosity? Is it something you've honed yourself or is it something that you've been exposed to early on? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. To be honest, I've not really thought about it until you, you've mentioned it now. But I mean, um, you know, as a kid, obviously I used to like take apart, I remember taking apart my Xbox and stuff to kind of learn how it all works and then build it back together. Um, I've never been like someone who's been interested in engineering as such that has definitely been more the kind of the marketing side. Um, 
but maybe that's why I also pick psychology in, in some way, because there's kind of that human, human behavior and how that works. Um, I mean, I'm curious for yourself, right? Cause it's, I guess, very similar with the podcast is, you know, learning about what people are up to kind of getting to learn mm. how people tick. I mean, what was the reason for yourself with this? Uh, very selfish. I wanted a job in the automotive industry and I thought the best way of doing it. Yeah, I know, right. Um, <laughs> the best way of doing it was hassling CEOs and, and, and people that are high up in, in the trade and, and kind of, you know, can I have an hour or can I have 30 minutes? Cause, and before starting the podcast, I'd do this anyway. And people would be like, who are you go away? But as soon as you mentioned, you've got a podcast and there's something in it for them. I think it's, mm. it's a lot easier, but yeah, that's, that's why I started. Cause I kind of wanted a job and it's, I guess it's kind of turned into more than that, but well, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Because even there with the, the, the questions that are being asked, and it was kind of similar, I guess, when I was down at Autosport is you're asking the questions, not just, you know, hey, how's it going? What are you up to this year? It's more those kind of, uh, if you're looking at it in terms of levels, kind of those second and third levels of questions about what's mm. making people take, why they're taking certain angles, what's their thoughts about this area of the market or that area of the market. So uh, I guess it's, you know, a little bit different the average conversation that you and i have with people probably isn't in that much detail with others um yeah. but it's good to learn how, how people operate in that way i think no 100 because like i always say if you find out how someone you know got to where they are it's a lot easier to work backwards and yeah. like those questions are are, are are those steps that you can take so like it's i don't know i read i read a book about um it's rich, it was rich dad poor dad i don't know if you've heard of it mm. um but that book really told me how to think differently and then sort of break stuff down make it as easy as possible so like atomic habits and so i kind of mm. applied that thinking to the way people live and if you can break down how people got to you know being a ceo of aston martin or running ferrari's team or you know how those people and what the decisions they made i thought kind of wrote then i explain it in the podcast and i kind of deep dive with people and stuff like yourself so there'll be people that want to want to be in the, in the, in the esports e realm they want to be people that are doing your job or run a company similar to you so having you know being gracious enough to give your time is enough to help someone else i think that's the main why this works so well yeah definitely i think the biggest thing even like from stuff like atomic habits like you kind of alluded to there is even if the area that you're planning to go into i mean not everybody's planning to start a business i'm sure but if you're going into a market that's still developing or still new you can still kind of take the formula of what other people have done in other verticals and apply it like you say towards kind of the area you're looking to i think with with sim staff, there was a lot of that when I was kind of setting up to work in the, the sim racing space. Like I say, there's already companies, you know, doing sim racing, experiential marketing. There was teams who were kind of looking at wanting to use simulators and it was trying to merge those together in the same way that Airbnb or, or Uber kind of work with, with their verticals as well, you know? Yeah. And so Josh, why did you choose to jump from, you know, being in a career and being in the event space to your own company? What were the, the ticking points? What were the things that made you really want to itch and try something else? Um, so the first thing really was when I was at one of the events companies that I, I was working for, and I, I, I won't name them, um, they, when they were, when they were running events and dealing with clients, I saw a lot of opportunities being missed. Um, you know, that it was very much kind of a, here's your simulator, here's your staff, and we'll kind of leave you to it. And I think the one thing I've learned, you know, particularly from kind of listening to your podcast and the people you've had on is the human relationship can sometimes carry projects a lot further than stuff in, in writing, you know? Um, so for me the pandemic obviously came about and kind of decimated the events industry, which was a great shame, but also kind of reset everybody to zero. So it meant if I was ever wanting to start my own business, there was probably no better time because everybody was kind of working from the same baseline. Um, with that, once I'd kind of worked out what I was wanting to achieve, I realized that, you know, that, that marketing and that creative elements that I really enjoyed that was interpersonal relationships could mm -hmm. now be cultivated as well. And people were probably looking for change and, 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 you know, opportunities to do something new. So, when I piece those two parts together, 
that was the reason that I wanted to start Sim Staff is I've got this kind of this talent and understanding of, of what I want to achieve. The market's probably in no better a time to do it. And I've got experience that carries me some, you know, some portion of the way to, to at least get in the door and have conversations with the people I want to speak to. How did you realize that the point to jump ship from career to, you know, side hustle was, was, was feasible? Yeah, I think for me that the big point where I learned that it was able to kind of become a full-time career was because of just the volume of work that was coming through. Um, I was kind of working another job and my attention was kind of shifting away from that. And it was at the time kind of still a small startup. So for me, I was like partially, you know, morally, I felt pretty bad that this company was trying to grow and I perhaps wasn't given my full focus, but equally the market was receptive to the idea that I had. And it was just a case of, okay, what happens if I double down now? What can we do? And thankfully it paid off. It was a little bit of a risk. Um, but once that demand is there and you can see the opportunities, I think you just have to to kind of lean into it and, and properly go for it, right? 100%. Yeah, that's great. And so was, was COVID not a big decision maker? Was it was something that you kind of, did that have any play in it? Was was that, how was that for you anyway? Was it, was it you know, what would it bring out in you? Yeah, it was a really interesting time because um, obviously my, my kind of career completely vanished from beneath me. It wasn't like there was a decision from the, the company to kind of let staff go because of financial reasons or whatever. It was literally, you know, the events industry did not exist anymore. Um, mm. And f- thankfully, you know, sim racing kind of people turned to it and went, hey, this is kind of like what we've done in real life. Um, so that's kind of where my background from kind of competing and stuff came in. So, you know, I had the opportunity to work with Bentley on some other esports program, which was really cool learning how literally professional team kind of operates. Um, and then as COVID kind of lifted, my assumption was people would drop sim racing altogether and just go back to what they had before. But what actually I found was happening was people were going, we can carry this into the real world and continue to use it for experiential marketing. But, you know, a lot of the teams now have esports programs. They've got, you know, drivers, managers, this kind of stuff. So that gave me the opportunity to go, okay, let me carry my knowledge now and work with these teams mm-hmm. who we've already developed relationships with to, to kind of help them grow even quicker. Yeah, and so and what was the stuff you learned from competing as well? Because I've never done, I mean, I've done mm. online fours and model lobbies. I wouldn't call that competing no. in motorsport, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it sounds a lot more professional. So what were you doing? Do you give people an idea of what competing in motorsport was like for you? Yeah, definitely. So, so like I say to a lot of people, I was kind of, I guess, semi-professional before it was cool. When I look at what people do now, it's, you know, the level is kind of take what I've done and, and amplify it by a thousand. But essentially, you know, it was working in the same way that a real motorsport team would operate. So with, with Bentley, you know, we had training sessions each day ahead of the kind of championship events that were coming up. Um, I had a virtual race engineer who was, you know, doing setups and uh, working with me on kind of driver behavior and looking at telemetry. And then on top of that, you know, we had, uh, okay, it was small, but we had kind of like media appearances, if you want to call that talking on, you know, broadcasts, uh, podcasts, this kind of stuff as well. So literally, you know, kind of taking what the real drivers were doing and they were even feeding into kind of giving us feedback and we were giving them tips in the sim and then using that to kind of get ready for a race weekend. You've then got like an hour race where you're really pushing it on the limit. And it comes back to, I think what we said at the top of the, the show, you know, that mental resilience and dedication of like, even if a race doesn't go well one weekend, you've got a whole team supporting you in the background and it's carrying that momentum forward into the next weekend. So it can be as good as possible. Yeah. I think people don't understand that. I don't understand this before starting the podcast that, you know, the difference between a real racing driver, sorry, no, I'm going to say a real life racing driver and an esports driver is that <laughs> it's very similar apart from the, you know, apart from the yeah. danger aspect and, you know, you're still experiencing the same things and the brain doesn't really know the difference between you going in a sim that's surrounding you mm-hmm. and you're sitting in a car. 
I mean, I've done both and I've, I've, I've driven an F3 car and I've been in the simulator for an F3. It's, you know, obviously it's different feelings, but mm. it is it, overall, you're, like I say, you're applying the same sort of discipline, you're applying the same sort of resilience. You can't give up mid-race in real life or on a computer because then you lose. I think it's very, like, again, those are things that I guess people wouldn't realise necessary that you gain from being in esports mm. or real life motorsport. No, 100%. I mean, one of the things that I did during COVID, A, because I was partially bored, but B, because I was, again, kind of a bit curious, is I got a heart rate monitor um, and kind of mm. tied that into when I was in the sim. And I realized that, you know, before the start of a race, like when we're gridding up and getting ready to go green, you know, heart rates jump into like 120, 140 BPM, which, you know, I think when you compare the athletes in the car, a lot of them are obviously, you know, super healthy. So their heart rate on average is lower, but it's still kind of a, an elevated heart rate. So for me, it was like, my body's physically still feeling the same as if it's in a real car, like you've just said. And okay, if I crash, I know I'm not going out the window or whatever, and I can always just turn off the PC. But it's an interesting one, right? Where the brain is still treating it very much as if, yeah, this is a real race, you're in this. And I mean, the people are real, the prizes are real. So it's it's understandable why the body kind of acts in that way, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon about, um, I can't remember the, the guy who did the research, but he basically, he put people that have done a thing you know they, they monitored mm-hmm. them so let's say it was, they went for a run right and they did the monitor the brain activity of someone going for a run and then they monitored the brain activity of someone like closing their eyes and just imagining all the smells going and it was the same the brain mm-hmm. they, you could almost you're getting the same endorphins from imagining going for a run you're just not getting the physical benefit of it i think that's probably why that you know you, you experience heart rate elevation you experience sweating you experience these emotions because you know for you it's real even if it's even if the yeah. brain can't tell the difference between it being 3d or 2d no, definitely. And and that's the thing that, you know, when I explain to people now about, um, you know, we do work with some of the, the F1 teams and their esports teams is like, these guys are now working, are, you know, driving full time uh, all day, every day, you know, they've got performance coaches, they've got physios, you know, um, when they're at, at events, they've even got a catering, you know, specific for them. It's like properly becoming its own disciplined sport in its own right. And, you know, whether you think it's as good or as bad as motorsport, I don't know. It, it, you know, individual opinions mm. kind of vary. But in the same way that you know, motorsport can, isn't really compared to chess. I think sim racing is very quickly becoming its own kind of sport that will be drawn as a comparison vaguely, um, but still should have its own discipline. And if we kind of view it in that light, you can then really understand why people take it as seriously as they do. I think. Yeah, and and so how does how does sim staff fit into all of this for people that want to know a bit more about what you do? How does can you give me the short sort of elevator pitch for what sim staff does and how it helps a motorsport? Yeah, for sure. So with sim staff, you know, we basically provide two things, uh, simulators for brands who are wanting to use them for experiential marketing or, you know, corporate activations, and then the staff to, to kind of run those, whether you already have simulators or you need them yourself. So a lot of our work is kind of spent at, at Grand Prix weekends, um, supporting some of the teams with their, their fan shops, for example. Um, we also do a lot of private installations as well. So if you're a driver who has bought a simulator for for training and practice at home, we'll usually be kind of working with the main distributors to come in and, and build that for you at your house. So it comes back to me kind of seeing the opportunity of we have this group of people who are really technically strong um, with this market that is growing and kind of bringing them together. So, you know, the, the kind of tagline that we kind of run with really is that, you know, sim racing companies doing events is different to events companies doing sim racing. Um, and that's really the, the problem that we're trying to solve and, and how we're trying to help people. Yeah. And so how did you, how did you figure out, you know, how this all worked? So it was, or did you spend time thinking about it? Or did it just seem like second nature? Or was were you being, you know, you curious self and kind of figure out, you know, how it worked between the end customer and the business itself? 
Yeah, I, I think if you told me a couple of years ago that I'd be running a staffing agency, I probably would have said I'll never do that in a million years. It was not something that I, I kind of had the intention of doing. Um, but I think I'm trying to view it slightly different in kind of coming back to that kind of experience, you know, so where I was getting approached by quite a lot of companies to kind of help them with the sim racing going into the real world, I realized I couldn't do it myself. So I was then kind of calling upon friends who I trusted and that network's now grown to kind of 90 people in, in 17 countries, which is really, really cool. But um, for me, I think it's important that when we're kind of continuing to grow that, it, it's learning, like I said, you know, from other verticals about what we can do. It's kind of in the same way that, you know, Airbnb was trying to grow as many houses as possible that people can book. Um, you know, we tried to do the same with our staff and I really want to make sure that when you book a staff member, whether it's myself that turns up or someone in Australia, that that person has the same quality, same personal qualities, same technical skills. So a lot of it's kind of stumbling and learning along the way. Um, but we can from time to time kind of draw um, comparisons from across industries as well. Yeah, I think I love the Airbnb um, Airbnb comparison. I think it's great. I just re recently listened to, um, I can't remember the name, the guy who runs the company on a mm. podcast and he was really interesting to listen to. I think it's fantastic. Like, the fact you're, you know, you're using cross industries, you're, you're learning from other people, not just what people in sim racing are doing wrong, actually look, looking at what people are doing right in, in similar industries as well. Yeah, definitely. Not. You know, I think at, at the fundamental to kind of once someone gets into the seat and starts driving, a lot of that takes care of itself. You know, people have their own experience with with the driving and particularly if we're working with teams, you know, they're already kind of running programs and activations. But, you know, the way that I view it is everything up to that point, you know, you want maximum uptime for your simulator, you want minimal downtime with technical issues. And the only way you can really guarantee that is by bringing in the most technically trained staff. So that's why we're really stringent on kind of the back end with our, our training and recruiting. So that then, you know, when it comes to the live events, people can trust us. And I think that's something, again, from kind of listening to the, the many guests you've had on your show is 90% of the work gets done behind the scenes. And it's that 10% when you're live on TV that people see. And it's just important that both sides of the coin are, are super important and, and trained to the maximum quality that they can be. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree. And it's interesting. I spoke, to, like I said, I've spoken to people from, you know, a guy who was a bus driver and was now an Aston Martin mm -hmm. Valkyrie technician. And then the, the dedication he gave to, that new role was immense because it was his dream job, you know? And so he would just, he mm. knew to immediately quit becoming a bus driver. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the thing is like the, the relationships that you build with people, you know, or I guess like Aston Martin, for example, they judge you based on the 90% behind the scenes. And it's like the prospective customers of the future that will judge the 10% that's public. I think for me, that was the big thing we were learning is it's one thing to get a client and it's another thing to, to maintain them and kind of give them value, which is where, yeah, you know, we're we're always working on our training and kind of showing them what we're up to so that when it does go public, people are like almost endorsing you, you know, unofficially mm. with the work that you're doing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work to, you know, make that 90% work. And so how, how are you doing, Josh? Like how is, how is it for you behind the scenes? Are you, are you okay? Like, how is it, how are you coping with everything? Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. It's been a, a pretty intense um, kind of four to six weeks for the business. You know, we had um, a lot of activations. We're doing stuff for like children need, for example, we're doing a roadshow around the country, obviously F1 season's back as well. So all the fan activations and um, I'm sure a lot of people who are kind of in the same position as ourselves probably feel is everything can go right. But when that one thing goes wrong, you're, you really pick on it and you analyze it. And for me, it's learning to not so much disregard that one thing that's gone wrong, but learning not to take it to heart as much, you know, whether that's an event, you know, starting five minutes late or it's a piece of equipment needing repairs. I kind of I'm focused on the small stuff. Um, and so for me, I'm currently trying to learn and kind of working on 
how we can use that to kind of feed into the other, you know, hundred positive days and look at it in a positive light. It's yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, right? I think everyone came out of the pandemic kind of running at a hundred miles an hour because they feel like we'd lost all this time, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. And it's just learning how to, to kind of cope with that. Yeah. And then, so do you, I mean, do you ever think about the future? Cause I know I do quite a lot and I'm just wondering mm-hmm. for you, like wh- where do you see yourself necessarily, not, not just sim staff, but where do you see yourself and, and the company going so in the, in the future? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, when you run your own business product project, whatever it might be, I think you learn a lot about yourself that you wouldn't working for someone else. Um, you know, be that your own accountability, what kind of values you hold higher in others, how you deal with certain scenarios. So for myself in a weird way, and I don't know if you feel the same, but I don't feel as if after this, I could ever go back to working for someone else at like a big scale organization. I think for me, the future is very much either working with another startup or, um, you know, launching my own you know new product, whatever the case may be. But yeah, it kind of shone a really interesting light on how I work as an individual and, and kind of what I hold close with, with my values. Yeah. And what are those values? Just, just out of curiosity. Yeah. I, I think the big thing for me is kind of self-accountability. You know, I'm, I'm someone who um, likes to be proactive. If something piques my interest, I'll kind of go away and, and look at it and see how I can either you know, in most cases, integrate it into what we're doing at Sim staff, or is it a potential opportunity for down the line? So that kind of self-exploration is really quite important. And then the second thing is really kind of on those interpersonal relationships um, quite highly as well. You know, I think as, as humans, you know, we're social beings and it's important to, to bear that in mind in a world where we're maybe not getting as many opportunities to be social. So if you're someone who can, you know, walk into a room, regardless of whether you know someone or not, kind of go up to them and have a conversation, I think it's going to, in the future, you know, going to get you so many leaps and bounds ahead. So for me, it's those interpersonal values and self-accountability is really what's, what's important and what I want to retain moving forward. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and that sort of work, Josh, I mean, I, you know, you, you married, you, what's, what's the family life look like? I know for me that doing this, it takes the majority of my time and it's hard to find a relationship that, you know, mm-hmm. works and it can be difficult to explain to people what I'm doing. Cause like you say, people don't get podcasting if people are, oh, you just sit in your room for two hours three hours a day i'm like yeah but it's it's more than that <laughs> but how, how's it going for you no you're you're 100 right i mean when i was um when i first met my girlfriend ainsley uh, trying to explain to her what sim racing was i actually avoided it for the first couple of dates because i was like it's really kind of i feel it was kind of geeky right it's like the guy who has a train set or a flight simulator it's like you don't wanna really want to talk about it but um I'm, I'm thankful enough that you know she's been super supportive um you know, been together now, I think for four years or so. And mm. I think that's the other thing that I hadn't considered at the time, but I think is also really important is having just that wider support network around you, be that, you know, a partner, family, friends, whatever the case may be. So outside of work, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've got a lot of people who kind of understand now what I do and are really supportive of it. Um, but I think it's important to kind of find that balance. I think you're exactly right. It's it, uh, what we do when it's our passion can take up so much time, but it's important that the people who are around us don't always share the exact same passions and it's just finding that that balance right can be can be quite tricky mm. yeah <laughs> i think you're right and how did you how's that support network helped you then how, how have you realized that you know having better people not better people having people with different you know interests has bettered you as a person yeah I, I think the biggest thing is um you know there's been some days where like something's gone wrong like i say you know say an event started later or whatever the case may be and I'll start venting about it and the reaction I'll get is not that they don't care, but like they don't realize why it's an issue. Um, and I think for me, that's that kind of grounding effect is so important um, because it helps you realize actually don't 
sweat the small stuff too much you know like i said before you take definitely take account of it so you can improve it but mm. for me that support network is great for kind of pulling me out of josh running sim staff and back to kind of josh the the normal person so um i think with any support network regardless of what it is that you're doing having just a change of scenery a change of, of conversation tone can be can be quite nice and i'm i, I I don't know about yourself, but I know for, for, for myself, when I get kind of burnt out, all I kind of talk about is work. And it's kind of that self-inflicting cycle where you can't stop thinking about work, but work's burning you out. So again, just having someone that can take you away and kind of, again, yeah, like I say, show you a different side to life, so to speak, can be can make a big difference. Yeah, I think that's a, the thing that, and I've realized like, yeah, I'll, I would get too wrapped up in this or get too wrapped up in, you know, mm. business I'm trying to start. And I think that, if you, you spend too much time thinking about it, actually, you know, if you go do a thing that you enjoy outside of work, it can like massively reduce the amount of like, you know, brain fog or, you know, the fact you yeah. feel tired all the time as well. I think that's a great point to bring up. No, definitely. I, one of the, the things when I left um, my last job, I, I had someone who was kind of helping me with some, some coaching. And the last thing I remember them saying to me was, now that I'm running my own business, you'll have no days off. And I kind of laughed at the time because I was like, well, I'll be my own boss. I can take off days whenever I want. You know, I don't have to kind of turn up. Um, but what I actually realized they meant is that the brain just doesn't switch off about work. You'll always be thinking about it, whether you're in the shops and you see an idea, whether you're out talking to someone, you know, there are no days off. So I think for me, that just really reinforced the the kind of support network that's, that's needed. Um, and like you said, that brain fog, until you've kind of realized a couple of times that you you can suffer from it, it can be quite detrimental to kind of long-term planning and thinking. So yeah, it's just so important, right. To kind of get away and, and kind of recharge mm. the batteries. I mean, I'm, I'm really curious for yourself, kind of what you kind of do to switch off and change, um, I guess, change, you know, your kind of focus. Yeah. Um, a few things is well, exercise. Exercise always helps. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I preach that, but I mean, I only, I only go to the gym maybe twice, maybe once a week. So I can't, <laughs> I can't say that, you know, I'm doing it all the time, but that's something that helped. Also, um, go-karting, funnily enough, I used to do it as a kid. Oh, it's really, really used to enjoy it as a kid. And um, kind of, I feel like going back to doing stuff you did when you were younger, if you enjoyed it as well. It's like mm -hmm. really, weirdly, I, 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 weirdly, but I enjoyed drawing as well. So, you know, maybe I'll take an hour out and just start sketching, even if it looks like a blob on a page. You know, you, you're still exercising a different side of the brain, but yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I was watching, it might've been Stephen Bartlett to be fair or someone, but he was interviewing someone and they kind of explained that the vast majority of people who are running their own business or who are creatives, the thing they do to kind of switch off is something that's like just completely polar opposite in terms of pace. So I guess writing uh, or drawing stories are a really good example. You know, you're going from working on projects constantly to just being able to literally slow down. Mm -hmm. Um, and at first it's kind of difficult to get into, or at least, you know, when I was kind of doing stuff to, to unwind, I found it difficult to get into, but once you kind of get into that rhythm of like, okay, this is relaxation time, it, you know, the benefits are immense, right? Exactly. And what was the stuff for you out of interest? What is the stuff that you do to wind down? Yeah. I mean, much like yourself, I'm by no means kind of a gym rat, um, but I do enjoy a bit of exercise, you know, um, and also traveling, you know, I do a lot of travel mm -hmm. with, with work, which is really cool, but I've, learned that traveling with work is different to just kind of actually going to even just like a local town you know and uh, maybe not taking in the sights of somewhere like Birmingham or Nottingham but you know I mean like just you know enjoying yourself and kind of chilling out um it can make a big difference just not having to constantly be thinking about work yeah and it does like I say you go, when you go back to doing the thing you're you know but you're passionate about it does help immensely and you can see the the benefits of of doing it and Josh, what is that big thing? You know, if I said to you, you could you could have in business or like you could have anything you want. What is what would some stuff look like? What would the big 
the big picture of what you're doing now look like? Yeah, it, it's a great question. I think as a business, we're at the point where a lot of things are breaking, but in a good way. We've got a lot of um, demand, which is, is obviously awesome. And it's great to see that the market's kind of receptive to this kind of idea of, or this gap that I thought existed. Um, but it also means that we go for a lot of pain points where, you know, if we had another one or two full-time staff, it, our life would probably be a, you know, a lot easier than the kind of the phase where we're still justifying being able to bring those people on. But I think long-term that the big thing that I could really hope that we achieve is just continue to grow sim racing in markets that aren't just motorsport. You know, the, I think as everybody says, you know, the worlds of kind of automotive tech and, and lifestyle are very closely interlinked and you can bring sim racing and motorsport into the tech industry or into the lifestyle industry. Um, and as we break into those markets, then that gives us the opportunity to scale and get to that place. I was saying where we've got, you know, four or five full-time staff plus our freelance network. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And it's, it's, it's you know, creating a, an easy way for people to enjoy that thing that we yeah. all do, like, you know, the people that maybe listen to this podcast or people that you meet, you know, you, you interact with that, that thing they do enjoy, which is, you know, spending time focusing on like, you know, being able to do that motorsport race or, you know, race that, and it's making it easier and making it more accessible. I think what you're doing is fantastic. So, um, so thank you for helping bring that to people. No, I appreciate that. I think, you know, it comes back to, like I say, when, when university Josh was sat in his sim rig and it was like, this is really fun to do on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, but there's got to be more to this that's, you know, people see value in. And it's great that I think, like I say, as bad as the pandemic was, obviously it kind of gave sim racing that platform to show it can be valuable. Um, mm. And we're now just trying to continue riding that wave and carry it as far forward as we can. Yeah, no, brilliant. Uh, and Josh, we'll get to the point of the podcast where I ask got the fast five questions at the end. Um, okay. and, the, and the first one of those is, you know, what what your three car garage was the ultimate three cars for you um it would have to be lexus lfa ferrari 458 and then probably the amg one from mercedes i mean it's, it's across like kind of the main manufacturers but i think the lexus has some cool tech um the ferraris you know it's a ferrari you got to have one of those um and the amg one i think is just like completely bonkers as a concept but somehow mm. works as a car <laughs> got one car to drive on any road or track but you can own it once, where would you go and what would you take? Well, um, I think like dream combination. I'm a huge Sebastian Vettel fan, so I'd probably pick one of his Red Bull cars probably from 2013. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think it's got to be probably somewhere like Silverstone, um, which I know might be a bit kind of Marmite for some people, but I think technically as a track, you know, it's just, it gives you the, you know, a full opportunity to explore an F1 car um, for being hopeful. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But if anything can happen. Anything can happen. Don't know. Don't discount it. Um, <laughs> podcast is there to help you sort of do more with your passion, whatever it is. You know, it happens to be around cars because that's my passion. But if you could do anything mm -hmm. and money wasn't an object, what would you do for a living or work? Oh, man, that's a great question. You know, as weird as it sounds, I would probably continue to run sim staff, I think, um, or, you know, work in the world of sim racing, at least. Um, so mm -hmm. for me, I guess, continue to run sim staff just because it is my passion and my hobby at the moment. Maybe in five years time, that answer would change. But but for now, at least, um, yeah, would probably be that. Can I ask you that same question? I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, if, I mean, if I could do anything, I, it's really, it's, it's happy. I think I, I would just want to be a racing driver. Like I said, it's something I yeah. really enjoyed doing growing up, go-karting and then, the, the amount of times I spend wanting to go on a racing game, but not having the time to do it. I think, you know, that, that is, that is the reason I like, and again, yeah, just being able to race and, and be competitive. Josh, what would, what would be the advice um, you would give to a young person that wants to pursue something with their passion? I think that the big thing is persistence. I think, um, you know, without getting too philosophical, we're in a society now where 
it can be easy to kind of have that first you know first couple of stumbles and then go actually i don't want to continue with this but if it is something that you have an innate passion for and you always find yourself coming back to like i did literally with that sim rigs you know sat in the corner i think you've just got to continue to be persistent and you know when a door closes a window opens and it's just about trying to find sometimes you have to take a couple of different approaches like i said you know i wanted to be a motorsport from day one and running simulator events cool that gets me into the space it's not quite the glitz and glam of being an f1 driver but for myself it, it, it scratches that that itch so it's that persistence and, and passion really needs to to kind of come hand in hand yeah that's great for people that you know maybe they're doing something at the moment they don't really enjoy doing or maybe they're in a career that they thought you know they'd never be in and they are mm -hmm. i think you know listening to that would really help them you know kind of think about the change as well yeah definitely the last thing i'd add on to that is you know simstaff has been running for about three years now but i didn't go full-time until after 12 months because it was still a side gig it was something that i wasn't entirely sure it was going to work so you know i think equally you don't have to drop everything overnight and and pursue your passion great if you can but it can be a slow build up till you work out kind of the right formula to unlock to do to do more you know yeah 100 uh, percent. and and josh your last question is what do you love most about motorsport um for me the the thing i like the most about motorsport has got to be just the pure level of of competition in that 0.01 percent we were talking about earlier that kind of I guess, level that people compete at. Like I say, it, it's something in other sports like cycling and athletics, you have that for kind of one individual or maybe two individuals, but motorsport, we're talking potentially, you know, hundreds of people in teams who are all at just such a high level that it's admirable. Um, you know, it's, it comes back to that saying, isn't it? Which is, I think if you're, you know, you want to be, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room that you go into it because you can always then be learning. And I think for me, motorsport is, is always like that. If you're the number two team in F1, you can still be learning from the top guys, you know? So that's the main thing I love about motor, motorsport really. Yeah, great. Um, and Josh, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to learn a bit more about you, some stuff. And I really do think that, you know, people need to pay more attention to esports because it is going places and it can be as good as if not more competitive than, than yeah, in life. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Harry. I appreciate it. Picking the right path to walk down is sometimes more challenging to do than you think. Life is a result of the millions of decisions we make every day. And the fact that we base our lives on them is amazing. Life isn't predetermined, there is no set path. You can't worry about each decision or make or think back and try and change it. So if you fancy your hand at a sim racing career, start small. Do your research and see how far you can take it. And if you like the look of the path, well, make it a reality. And so with that being said, my name is Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you know someone that likes esports, sim racing or motorsport in general, send them this episode. They may just find the content interesting enough to share. That's all I ask. Like I said, this is going to be the number one automotive and motorsport podcast. So if you want to join us on this journey, follow us on this app. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. And if you go to our socials at the.ignition.podcast, you can find the video version and clips of this podcast there as well.